2: Välkommen till ny episod av veckans um, uh, vintips. Uh, Idag har vi också en uh, engelsktalig Hon är er master sommelier utbildad i 2010. Hon har ingående känskap om land hon nästan representerar men också en av de givna viktiga producenterna som har tagit Norge med storm och vi ska snacka om engelskmuserna. Vi må slå över på engelsk. Welcome Laura to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, we have invited you to the podcast because of a t- blind tasting who happened on the Sommelier Day in Norway a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, where 30 Norwegian Sommeliers tasted uh, 10 different sparkling wines uh, of uh, some English and some champagne. And uh, the winner was Gospel. Yes. And we will talk about what the reason is behind it, mm-hmm. that it was a blind tasting where nothing was set up. Mm-hmm. It was just blind. And uh, many sommeliers said, wow, w- how is it possible to get that quality? You know, as master sommelier, why? I know as a wine journalist why this happened. Uh, but um, please explain me, what is the benefit to drink Gospon except from the alcohol? <laughs>
1: Okay, well, um, so yes uh, Gusbourne English sparkling wine uh, has found a new uh, a new level a new renaissance recently I think Um, we look at the industry now versus where it was 20-30 years ago and it's wonderful to look at what's happening with the industry as a whole Um, Gusbourne we have always wanted to make world class sparkling wines and since we started everything we've done has really been about how we can produce the very best wines possible so um, we've all of our own grapes we don't buy or sell any fruit and we you know focus very much on vintage only wines so single vintage wines um uh, but um the blending process itself is is really you know really unique very in-depth um and we like to age our wines for longer on leads as well
2: because the aging part of gospel of, is something special because you don't have <laughs> uh non-vintage you have uh, Vintage, right? And all yes. from the beginning. Yes. And when we are talking of beginning, uh, it has to be a little bit clearance because um, the the, the property have oh, It's from fourteen hundred and ten, or right? The name or the yeah. yes. Could you yeah. just take me a little bit back to the fourteen? Why the name and so on? Mm-hmm.
1: So we bought the estate in two thousand and four. Gosporne estate mm. um, and the estate itself the land dates back to the 1400s uh, well it dates back much further than that but as far as we can find it in the 1400s it was owned by a gentleman called John de Goosebourne. um as so the that's, Goosebourne that's Estate, yeah, yeah, exactly. And over the years, it went from Goosebourne to Gosbourne to Gusbourne. Ah. so we bought the land as Gusbourne Estate, and at the time, it was um, arable land, so there was crops and and vegetables and things planted there. Um, and so then we planted the first vineyards in two thousand four, um, five, and six, and seven, and then added a little bit more land in fourteen and fifteen as well. Yeah. Um, and then we also have land in Sussex. Yeah. So.
2: Because originally it was just, a, I mean, um, a father who was coming to visit his daughter and then suddenly right. have a good idea and have some money and then he invested. Yeah. So exactly. it is it, not a, a stati- um, uh, um, I mean, a well-planned reason behind it. Uh, it was just, okay, this is possible to do. We try.
1: Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of planning behind it as well. Mm. So our founder um yeah. uh yes, he was coming to to visit his daughter who lived in in the village um and saw the land and really understood the potential I think for it. And then there was a lot of soil surveys and um mm. exploration I think yeah. beforehand. Uh, but also he was South African, well he is South African. Yeah. Um and uh had been involved a little bit in the industry in South Africa as well and in the wine industry. Yeah. Okay, just a okay. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not as a producer or anything no. like that, but but, but Drinking? Or? Um, well, drinking as well, but, <laughs> yeah. but various bits and pieces. And, and I think he kind of saw what happened in in South Africa and then could kind of start to see what was happening in the UK in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Of course, the landscape of the industry was entirely different yes. to what we see now, um, but really saw the potential, I think, for for making some amazing wines. So.
2: I remember the first wines since uh, Norway is the biggest export country for England for the time being, with a huge a lot of brands, mm-hmm. uh, more or less everyone who is important is in Norway present yeah. with importers. Uh, so um, there are many different styles and age of uh, producers, and not everyone is very good, but some is standing out as fantastic good. Yeah. But at that time, uh, in two thousand and seven, we tasted the first bottle who was arrived in Norway, including the g- gospel who was yeah. arriving. I don't think it was imported, but I think it was just sent over just mm-hmm. to okay, yes try you Norwegian guys. Yeah. but uh, at that time uh, i remember that in my notes from that time i was writing sure <laughs> this is testing uh, um, i said it's not good you know i, I didn't know anything about the uh, english speaking i i was wrong really wrong because it from 2007 until today um it had been a fantastic journey for English sparkling, mm. but could you explain us or, or for the, for the listeners from the inside, from you started to when you first heard about it? You take your master sommelier in two thousand ten, mm-hmm. and probably a little bit before you start um, um, drinking and learning about wine. Mm. How was to be in England and seeing this mm. because this is as a start of champagne. Mm-hmm. If you are thinking a bigger, not a bigger scale, but it's a start of a new industry.
0: Sure.
2: Really start. Because if you're seeing the buildings the producers have today, it's not big chateaus, and except from someone. But it's, mm-hmm. it's small producers. Uh, they are not 300 million bottles a year. Or no. it's, you know, it's small. It's, um, you know, each other, everyone. Yeah. Uh, if you go to London, you have to explain the waiter who's English what sparkling from england are they don't know of every brand
1: well many
2: some of yeah. course do but but yeah. often when i've been in london mm, and we have the same thing with norwegian acquit uh-huh,
1: okay.
2: we yeah. have a huge amount of norwegian acquit yeah. but the uh, uh, norwegian waiters and they don't just know about maybe 10 brands mm-hmm. that's the same effort but please tell me um your first impression of english sparking from the inside mm. and out
1: well uh, so i started um as a sommelier in 2004 and i was an english sommelier um with a, a team full of french sommeliers which is very normal at the time in the uk you know um there were a lot of french italian sommeliers not a huge amount of english sommeliers and and um and uh, where I was working at the time, um, has a few English sparkling wines on the list. And and I remember being very fiercely patriotic about these wines. And uh, it was Ridgeview, in Burton, Chapel Down, And I would speak to guests and say, would you like to try something English and sparkling? And the guests would say to me, <laughs> 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 no, no, I'm not sure. Or they'd say, really? We make wine in England? and um, And so there was... You know, there was a little bit of hesitancy, certainly. And and I think then I can remember, uh, it must have been about 2008, eight, maybe nine. And I was working with Gérard Basset at the time um, mm. at his hotel. and, um, and A fantastic
2: and, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, a real legend mm. and a real loss. Yes, um, but um, but he was, you know, a wonderful, a wonderful man and a great inspiration. And and um, and so I was his head sommelier, his hotel for uh, for a little while, and um, he was very supportive. And I remember saying to him, oh, "I would love to have an English wine list, like a page." <laughs> and he said, "On page." Yeah, and he said, "Well, okay, sure, if you can." then go ahead. You know, that was very much his, his his ethos. And so there I was trying to pick these wines and, you know, trying to find smaller producers. And at the time, the industry was, you know, so different. And, mm. and, and they, they didn't have distribution in many no, ways. Logistics so. was wrong. And, and information,
2: they didn't have internet sites. They didn't right. have brand managers. They right. Everything was just, ah, we will make it. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: And exactly, you know, and and in many respects, as many emerging regions are, Hmm. But so I made this wine list and I think I've, I had this kind of, you know, make it and they will come kind of attitude. And hmm. actually, people really enjoyed the wines and there was a little bit less skepticism. And then, you know, fast forward a bit more. And I was working um, in a Michelin star restaurant in London and had tasted Gus Finally, this was in two thousand. 13 14 loved the wines um you know I think there was something something different about them in, in many respects and and um, and so we started listing them by the glass and I wanted to take champagne off and have only English sparkling wines by the glass and it was felt that that was maybe a bit too far that was yeah. a you know that was a step too far so I didn't do that um, but what was interesting is that people were starting to come and ask for a glass of champagne or ask for a glass of Gus And we were in a restaurant where. So
2: Gusborn become a brand name like EBEM and Xerox, uh, meaning sparkling from England. Uh, No, No.
1: I mean, Gusborn, I think Gusborn became just a glass of Gusborn. It was never, it was never anything other than than that. But yeah, Yeah. I think people were starting to say, oh, well, actually, English sparkling wine is quite tasty. This is interesting. And then, you know, funnily enough, I remember, so I joined um, Gusborn in 2015. Mm. I remember even before I joined and I said to a couple of friends, "Do you know what? I've had 20 great years working in restaurants, but I think now's the time to think about something different. Mm. I want to I want to try something different. I I love English wines and I've always been very passionate about the industry and, you know, it was pretty difficult in 2004 to be you know so yeah. passionate about it but I could see you know I could see this evolution it's coming and people
2: after you no, you know yeah. you can see that yeah
1: okay. yeah you know and I could see you know some some serious potential within hmm. the industry but even then people said oh gosh Laura, but you do you sure? remember
2: some some numbers around this because um I read somewhere that it had been the goal for 2030 is a goal how many bottles who should be produced from England that's the Common oh, goal. I yeah. think it's around thirty million bottles. Something, I, I mean, like, something that. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you see, the champagne industry have four hundred million bottles a year, so right. it will never be the same thing. If not, uh, France is uh, no. inviting uh, England again. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. but uh, many many years ago they were connected. Uh, so right. the distance between uh, Champagne and England, the first, are 140, 44 kilometers in. So it's not mm-hmm. far. No. Um, uh, if you have a fast plane or or can fly but it takes a long time to drive it does but um uh, from your point of view um uh, or also maybe for mine uh gospel special um 2004 uh, and, and up to 2010 11 then it changed then it was more precise then it was more Do you know have you heard about that before that it had been the first beginning of years and it have been maybe lack of uh, tasting experience from us. But then suddenly I see my notes is g- going over 88, 89, 90 points. Mm. Have you heard about that, that change? What, or maybe for English sparkling later? wine yeah, generally? Yeah? No, no, for Gospon.
1: Well, well, Gospon, we, so we released because Because are
2: stepping up uh, quality over time. So to, from 2013, 15, it had been stable like, like yeah. rock. But... The first couple of years, mm, it had sure. been a little bit down, it had been some oxidation, it had been something in, in my tasting notes. Yeah. And I've read also others that, okay, had there been a learning process for for everyone to start to yeah. to make wine. It's just once a year.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So So our first vintage was 2006, and we released those wines in 2010. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we, we have so few bottles of yeah. those early vintages left yeah. that it's hard yeah. to, to ever go back and retaste them. I remember oh. the 07s being delicious. And I remember, mm. you know, uh, but you're right. I think it's like anything, isn't it? Yeah. We started with just a few hectares of land. Mm. And, you know, we planted the Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot and, Meunier. And I think those few hectares grew over the years. But, but yes, I think if, we, if you look now where we are as a producer versus probably the wines we were producing in those first years there's yeah. a definite shift yeah. in terms of and, style
2: and why i ask is because uh champagne have uh over 300 years with history and uh, now you're beating them in contest with 30 sommeliers in norway and also winning a lot of prizes just in 2021 you have over 60 prizes international good-looking mm-hmm. awards yeah i mean uh, you're beating champagne gospel and that's fantastic uh, I have an uh, idea that some of the, um, and we're going to taste uh, the, the wines, um, uh, we are brought to the studio, uh, the, the Blanc de Blanc 2018, yep. um, and then we have the second winner uh, at the competition, the Grange, yep. that we don't know so much about, but it w- took the second prize, yep. and we will have a short description of this, but we're going to have a focus on the Blanc, uh, Blanc de Blanc, but um, uh, but could you just give us a little bit of update, you know, the name Champagne is… Well known, uh, the same sect, Prosecco, all these names for it. How and what na- name have English sparkling become? No. W- what you call it? You ha- it's it's official now. It's it's something.
1: It's still English sparkling at the moment. English sparkling <laughs> um, at the moment. Yeah, I, I think we'll see what happens. Um, there's uh, there's something called the Great British Classic Method. Yes. Oh, um, the
2: Great British Method.
1: Great British Classic. Ah, okay. Method which has been, you know, floated and mm. discussed and there's a logo and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it still needs to be adopted. And at just the same for, time. for well, updating
2: so. your listener, who, who what we are talking about now is that the English uh, industry have not decided what to have the official name as Champagne now in France or uh, in the Prosecco in, in Italy. They are on the path. So this is a so young industry that the official um, parts of it is not in place yet, right. and in uh, in in Champagne, Chablis, and many other uh, um, countries, uh, like for instance Chablis, it was from 1912 to 1936. It was a discussion where the um, boundaries should be, uh, and all this, and that that's cleared in in England. Mm. Th- that could you place um, make um, sparkling anywhere? It's it's mm. no official. No, anywhere, can, anywhere, anywhere yeah.
1: in England and Wales.
2: Okay, so that probably will come, is, hopefully. But it didn't happen at day one in Champagne either. Of course. No, you know. so this is just so new. Um, so that's, um, for me, as, uh, as a wine journalist who love and, and have experienced from the beginning, I think this is a fantastic uh, moment because i didn't expect i was not there when champagne was made of the yeah. 50 years first years yeah. but um i i read a little bit about uh, gospel up through the years but w- one of the things uh, i've been into the the cloning thing with the grapes and we are going a little bit technical but um uh, usually uh many of the producers uh, of english barking are ta- taking uh, clones from from champagne but you have taken from Burgundy somewhere else. Do you know anything about the reason why and how?
1: So, yes. Um, when we first planted those first varieties, we had Burgundian clones and Champagne clones. Hmm. And we planted our vineyards um, on, uh, in different years and quite systematically in that sense. And I think some of the clonal decisions came from soil analysis. Some of the clonal decisions came from the fact that we wanted lower yields And Burgundian clones tend to yield lower than Champagne clones. And, you know, when you look at our environment and you look at the climate, it made a lot of sense to have lower yielding vines so that we'd get more intensity, more concentration, more weight. And actually that's really happened, especially in Kent. We have a lot of clay and sand soils and the Burgundian clones really thrive there. And then in Sussex we have uh, chalk and flint and we have a mixture of both those kind of clones too. But we have altogether 41 different clones planted
2: yes. in different areas of our of our And audience. just to, to update the, the, the listeners and so on, clones are in kind of the same family but they have the same chardonnay name but it's different right. uh, numbers afterwards and they, they are doing different stuff or yeah. making different um, uh, use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: so yeah. there will all be Chardonnay, for example, yeah. or Pinot Noir, or Pinot Meunier. Mm. But uh, a different clone might react differently to a different soil type or yes. to a different um, climate as mm. well. And so yeah. that's why you have clones that thrive in different and areas. And a the world. little bit
2: alone with that kind of mostly Burgundy, or oh, it just been?
1: Yeah, there are a few other yeah. producers, but yeah. no, it's yes. Okay. I think there's a lot more Champagne clones, I think, than Burgundian clones, generally mm. speaking.
2: Um. Guzman have won a lot of prizes, but it's the only um, winery who have won the best English winery three times. Um, and that's because you're new, have uh, vintage and are a little bit premium style, because everyone else is making just non-vintage or more simpler wine. Not everyone, but but you are focused on the vintage. And of course, when you taste the vintage, it's different than the non-vintage. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, is that... Uh, because you have a lot of, you're winning a lot of uh, competition. And we see that not so many are, uh, of the small smaller producers from England are included in their tastings. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Gospon is a bit ahead of marketing. It's very good. And in the marketing of, of Gospin, are there any from champagne working in, in the Gospon from champagne industry in marketing? How many are no. you? How many employed are you in? How big is Gospon?
1: Gosh. Altogether, we must have, including the guys in the vineyard, the winery, mm. the office team, the sales team, marketing, forty-five. Yeah, maybe.
2: Yeah, it's a decent scale. Fifty. Yeah. 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 Around 30, then you lose control over who working or not. <laughs> so that's normal. So <laughs> that's, yeah,
1: and we yeah. have different sites as well. We have people in Sussex, we have people in Kent. And then obviously the sales team are not yeah. based at the winery, but they're yeah. a little bit further. But
2: also the, the sales team and how you build up the industry have also boomed and it invested a lot of money to bigger winers. Today, uh, Gospen is having 140 plus hectares, uh, and you started with 20. Around we have 90, 90 hectares. hectares. 90 90 yeah, okay, hectares, yeah. yeah. Um, we're gonna taste the uh, the the Grange first. Uh, mm-hmm. It's coming from a, uh, Hampshire. Um, uh, it's um, um, it's uh, rosé. Um, what you said? It's better yeah. to drink in the podcast. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: from the early tastings, uh, 2007 until today, is one thing I mark with everyone is that it have a very marked acidity, all of them. And it's very clean, fresh. And this have a little bit uh red apple um content in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bubbles are small. Yep. Um, uh, it is really how uh, how um, um the fruit is not complete in the mouth um but it's a decent uh, quality mm-hmm. and easily um uh can compare to a champagne. Um, what is your point of view of this champagne or this is sparkling? I mean,
1: um, <clears throat> pardon me. So I really enjoyed this wine. I think, as you say, you know, it's very fruit forward. There's lots of that really kind of bright but very elegant red fruit character coming through, and that really nice kind of fresh acidity, but green apple, red apple notes. Um, I think um, there's a there's a real Freshness and energy, I think, in this wine, I think it 's th- for me I, I think it 's delicious yeah but. Uh,
2: if you have um, go back to the restaurant stage mm. and uh, would place a recipe to this uh, this wine, mm. what have you chosen and remember don't do not um, take uh, English. Um, uh, special courses uh, <laughs> including a little, little bit international so people understand what it is but, <laughs> but what is the? what do you use the acidity in this wine to, to food?
1: You know I would use it with um, a fish like salmon for mm. example so something that's a little bit oily, a little bit fatty or tuna mm. um, uh, seafood I think just works beautifully uh, with wines like this um, um, prawns and shrimp um, because, you know, if you get one of those, like those beautiful kind of open shrimp sandwiches when the shrimp yeah. is really sweet and delicate, yeah. um, something like that. Yeah. Anything that that has a little bit of either fattiness that then yeah. the acidity can cut through.
2: Like butter or oil or yes, something like that. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Okay. But then also something where the flavours are quite delicate. Mm. Um Especially for something like this rosé, which is a really yeah. delicate, very light, very very mm. elegant style of rosé, yeah. I think.
2: No, um, after the competition for some um, weeks ago, I was having the numbers in front before everyone knew. So I think, what? Again? Because um, Steven Spurrier had a tasting uh, yes. for some years ago. And it, it was the same result. Two sparkling from England won the competition. And, and, uh, and again, uh, it was coming up and uh, we're not going to uh, name the other champagne brands but it's famous very old many hundred years old uh, and they are making good wine and in, mm-hmm. in th- this category we are not talking about commercial brands uh we are talking about small producers who is high-end mm-hmm. but it's kind of what is the difference between um english sparkling and champagne and to well train and uh, Many of the sommeliers attending to that class was the best in Europe of mm-hmm. tasting wines. Mm-hmm. So it was, oh, nah, this is good. But uh, let us go to the uh, Blanc the Blanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, um, you have certain qualities, of course, uh, of the wines. But uh, what is selling mo- most of the wines you have in the portfolio? Is the Blanc de Blanc or it's... Yeah, probably hmm. is the Blanc de Blanc, yeah. actually. Not yeah, in Norway, but in general.
1: In general, yeah, yeah. In general, you know, the Blanc de Blanc is our flagship, yeah. if you like. It's our best expression of Chardonnay. It's yeah. the wine we use to really kind of celebrate Chardonnay hmm. and what it brings from the vineyards. So, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Let us test. And then um, I will start the tasting. Um, for me, gospel is a favorite. I've been for maybe three, four years. It have changed uh, to more um, open fruit. Um, the acidity is still there, but in this is lighter than than the the Grange mm-hmm. um, as we tasted before. But is the palate is more um, more including. So it's uh, the acidity is there. It's easy drinking. I p- preferred in a bigger glass uh, mm-hmm. if I drink it just without food. Um, the wine are long lasting. So it will be there for a very long time. So this Mm -hmm. reminds me of of a Blanc de Blanc of course from Champagne, but also from Germany in some cases. Uh, So um, the wine um, I see Gussman as as a a reference to to Blanc de Blanc outside Champagne but not compared often. Because it's fruit driven together with acidity. So in Champagne often very Acidity but not so much fruit and in early tasting notes from the 50s and 60s from the biggest wine journalists and best tasters. They are um, in Champagne have the same tasting notes that we have today in in England. So they are mentioning fruit, they are mentioning acidity but today they are not mentioning fruit in Champagne in many cases. What is the main reason why the climate have changed so much? Mm -hmm. Uh, towards to to that um, england can can produce that kind of quality because it having about how many days right and please tell us about the days
1: Mm. so there's a, a perceived wisdom i think that the ideal length of growing season so from the moment of flowering to the moment of harvest that should be about 100 days and so 100 days gives the fruit, the grapes, the ability to ripen, to, um, to ripen in terms of acid falling and sugar rising, but also rather crucially in terms of phenolic ripeness. And when we talk about phenolic ripeness, that's where we talk about flavor development. And so it's more than just the kind of the levels of acid and sugar. It's more about where you find those fruit yeah. flavors developing and the, um, the compounds for those. Um, what happens is if, 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 uh, if a growing area is quite warm, for example, then the acid starts to drop. And crucially, when we make traditional methods, sparkling wines, because of the methods that, you know, the second fermentation in bottle and the lees aging, because of that, you need to have high acidity mm. in those original grapes. And so then I suppose there's that balance between making sure that the acid's not too low. But that the ripeness is full enough, and I think mm. in the UK at the moment we are in that sweet spot. Um, yeah.
2: It's ninety or hundred ten days, So it's what? about a hundred. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's about a hundred. So um, if we
2: go back twenty years, you didn't have hundred days. So it was no it would have been year. Even, and Yeah, no, it would have been even point, longer. So. I think.
1: Yeah. So. yeah. Well, well, no. The reality is, if you go back thirty years or so, actually, no. you just couldn't have got the ripeness, and, no. and we see it even now. You know, we see at Gusbourne that. We are harvesting more often in September now yeah. than we, we were, were twenty years ago. So there is a, you know, there's yeah, a shift, a, but a not common, always. Yeah. Of course, you still have years like last year, mm. which was very cool, um, and it was a very challenging year, and it was a late harvest. But some of those base wines that were created from that year mm. were really interesting as well. And so, you know, I think what what's really fascinating about producing English sparkling wine is that you know blending process in in terms of finding all those different blocks and Hmm. you know we end up up with 300 because because the
2: distance between wine um, wine uh, yards are quite um, long so you don't have it next to each other you have many plots in the the hectares you have the 90 hectares they are not at
1: yeah. the same spot? Uh, well, they're, they're fairly... Well, no, they're not in the same no, spot. No. So we have two estates. Yeah. One is in Kent, hmm. and then one is in Sussex. And, yeah, and, and the distance
2: is there in kilometers or like, miles?
1: Uh, it's about 100 kilometers. Yes. Something like yeah. that.
2: You don't run that uh, a day, I think. No. No. <laughs> okay. But but that's the distance. Uh, but it's a huge difference in uh, in, in um, expression of the... Yes. Yes. And that's yes. The, is that one of the main factors that Gospon is achieving something, that it have. Yeah, uh, I think so. Part of it, yeah. Yeah, I th- I, I'm not too sure because um, uh, as uh, we both have been in Champagne many times, we are traveling around. Yeah, uh, England is a kind of uh, there are no natural source for 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 truth. It is a young industry, so people really don't know, uh, and some questions are not um, answered yet because we don't have history for twenty. Five years ago, yeah. and 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 there are not so many vintage uh, uh, sparkling, but we can see through the tastings of, uh, of blind tasting that people love this. Mm-hmm. And thinking, okay, but it's the acidity who they love, uh, the difference, uh, or is the pure quality of concentration? I think it is the concentration of fruit mm-hmm. that is just present, and also the, the knowledge that I see of new timber and others mm-hmm. that they have a knowledge of tasting wide of good um they're not making a copycat of uh, champagne but they're making their own but they know what they do and yeah. they do it faster uh-huh. they are a little bit on the table too to 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 organize quality and also building up uh, um, industry uh, uh to to grow fast so they know how like 400 years ago in champagne it was a family they take step for step, pay the bill, mm-hmm. step, step. But here is okay, we invest 10 million uh, euros and then we invest in, in things and then we're getting the result much faster. Mm-hmm. So the it's going, and we know the potential of sale. And that leads to my next question. In Norway, uh, the, the sparkling are well priced. The Gosman is well priced, around 400 kroner. Um, some of them are 550, it's coming mm-hmm. up to 600. But it's always. Uh, in the, in the same level of champagne, uh, and sometimes a little bit higher. Could you explain to me a little bit of the of the policy in general? Why sparkling are that priced, and yeah. how? Why?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, <clears throat> in many respects, it's the reality in terms of how much it costs to produce the wine. You know, in terms of lease aging, in terms of of um, uh, of the land as well. Um, it, we think about champagne, for example. They have a kind of economies of scale, perhaps that the UK doesn't have as a small, young industry. That brings with us a lot of um, a, a lot of positives, but it also brings negatives in terms of yes, you know, it, it costs quite a lot to plant a vineyard, and then you have to wait six years before you can sell the first bottle so you know there's a lot of investment cost there as well and also when you think about the the lees aging and and um, and the amount generally it costs to make a, a bottle of wine and, you know these wines are made in exactly the same way as champagne um, vintage wines aged for as long as a, as a as a champagne would be and and so in many respects qualitatively speaking. And we've seen this with with various tastings and, and this particular tasting that we're talking about, you know, qualitatively, I think we can say that the wines are on a par and, and stylistically they are similar, but they have their own character as well. And so I think then it makes sense that these wines are on a par in terms of pricing as well. I think, you know, 10 years ago. It was more difficult to explain that to people because we, you had to physically get the wine into people's glasses so that they understood, yeah,
2: understood the quality, of
1: price. The quality yes. and they understood the style and they understood the price. And, you know, yeah. and, uh, things are changing. Things are shifting.
2: I have some uh, discussion often with people that why should I pay so much for uh, English sparkling when I have a champagne with the mm. brand I know for many t- decades. Yeah. And I used to explain them, okay. This is reason they are smaller. They have mm-hmm. expenses in the same way. Uh, but do you think that when uh, um, probably I'm not too sure, but this is in a positive way. We can see in ten years' time we will we will probably have so much more producers. But they are coming up, popping up like yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know, like gamblings. a lot of small producer, one yeah. two people who have some experience going back making good quality, they are working together, they are on social media, they are making mm-hmm. brands uh, in garages, in buying. It's fun to see. And it's half an hour from London. It's yeah. so fun. But um, do you think that um, when, the, when the production is going up, the prices will level out? Because we don't have a, a, a English parking over 1000 or 10, 100 euros yet, but it probably will come. Do you have any secrets from Gutsman who is coming in the cellar? You can't tell me, but I can see your eyes that maybe something is coming, okay. <laughs> then we are looking forward to have that. Please send a bottle or make <laughs> me to buy one because what this is what I'm missing now is the is the prestige cuvee, you right. know, the, the prestige thing. Yeah. And I hopefully, i I thinking of this for some while now and I think, I hopefully, I think in, in five, six years you have it in the cellar and then mm-hmm. in five, six years it's coming some releases who show least on the potential of, you know, uh, my personal favorite of Champagne is Krug. Yeah. Everyone knows that. I l- love
1: Krug. Who doesn't? I love it too. Thank you. <laughs> then we are friends.
2: But but uh, at that time, I- in the same way, um, some producers need to go step up and making Prestige coupures. so It c- could be smaller, but just showing what the potential are. And that takes time, of course. It does. But you are probably one of them who have project going on. But is this something you discuss Inside the business to, to to work up quality over time. As for instance, uh, we have um, I was visiting Saint-Cell last week, yeah. and saint after my opinion, have one problem. They have only they don't have the Grand Cru, Premier Cru, and and yeah. Uh, and today there are no official or standard of quality of prestige, It's a kind of the producer's name and reputation, and then going on. Yeah. But in in fifty hundred years time. Uh, English sparkling industry could be five double, six double, hundred times bigger if it's needed because the rules are not set yet. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is important to work with now? That kind of tools and are someone talking about it?
1: Yeah, there's discussions. Yeah, of course. And you start to see little PDOs. So I mean, we have a general PDO in terms of a uh, a wine rule system yeah. that we
2: use. The, the PDO is the uh, wine Pd- system uh, rule system. PDO
1: is the protected designation yes, of origin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like an yeah, appellation system. Yeah. Um, and we have one, really, for the whole of the UK industry mm. in terms of quality English sparkling wine. That's yeah. what it's called. And it has certain rules attached to it in terms of the grape varieties you can use. Uh, Lee's aging uh, is a minimum of nine months, has to be bottle fermented. And yeah. B- but there's not massive rules there. No. Which is great it allows us to innovate, it allows us to create and as a young industry, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, we're starting now to see um, uh, th- th- Please remember a- to drink
2: wine, uh, oh, Laura. Thank uh, you. We are we are drinking and broke you now. I will, yeah.
1: Mm. It's never too yeah. early to drink Blonde blanc. No, 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 never. So, that's a good idea. Just,
2: uh, just to mention that this podcast is recorded after 10 o'clock. <laughs> Not 8 o'clock in the morning, but 10 is enough. Okay? It's true. Yeah. yeah. But uh, please continue.
1: Um, uh, uh, yes. And we're starting to see, I think, you know, there was recently the Sussex PDO that was launched. So that's a county. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it got a mi- mixed reaction with, uh, within the wine industry. But what it shows is that people are keen, I think, to find some kind of way to, um, uh, to classify. Wines, and yeah. um, whether that be geographically, or whether that be from a, a lease aging perspective, or a non non vintage versus vintage perspective, yeah. or, or some way to do that, or yes, I mean, mm. uh, I don't know, I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're old enough yet as an but, industry. But you're taking to, big
2: steps because yeah. you have an organization who takes care of English speaking right. Yeah, you you have open-minded people yes. you have expertise and yes. if you go back to champagne they didn't they have well, farmers who right. didn't have expertise and didn't know what big champagne were going to be yeah of and course. today we see industry is by the big money you know it's it, of course it's small producers but in general they are just it's, it's a printing money machine champagne mm. Oh, ma- champagne yes yeah, Sorry, champagne, you meant, but not yeah. spo- to, uh, um English sparkling is still on the loan from the banks uh, in uh, certain cases. It's, yeah. uh, but it will come because the potential uh, for when you have successes as in Norway, where a whole country is saying, ah, this sparkling is fantastic. That's a good point of view. You have a lot of good tastings. Yeah. It will arrive. Imagine if uh, if English sparkling gets off in uh, England. No, not in England. Maybe it's coming. But in Germany, in Portugal, in Spain, in other countries, because yeah. champagne is getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the woolen producer are making not so good. And uh, you will use maybe 10 years to get a woolen producer in if you're going to have it. Yeah, because for sure. Because the price of land is going up in England now. Mm-hmm. People is, you can't reach any. So it's uh, the potential. I saw some numbers that it have been 10 double the price of land around um, areas where they already have. So it's it's starting to be mm-hmm. too expensive to to invest. If not, uh, you have investments like they do in, in other countries, uh, like in Champagne and Germany and so on. You have other owners of the vineyards than the producers. Right. But n- let's not talk about that. Let's talk about uh, how uh, Gospen and are leading to because I see this as leading star. How how much time do you use to to be like? You're present in Norway now. It's an important market, of course. Yeah. But you're also present in tastings. You're present in information. You're a CEO in in, in letters. I see you intending to be a, a producer who is in, in front of the industry sometimes. You are right. on the, all the important wine fairs. You are, you are present. Which and is- that's a goal to be.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, our our goal has always been to make world class English sparkling wines, mm. and yeah, gosh, you know, if that puts us in prominent tastings, and um, a lot of my role is um, is both as a kind of a global presence in that respect, but also as kind of part of the blending team and part of other kind of support functions and that kind of thing. So, yes, you know, it, I think I think it's wonderful. To have these wines be tasted by yourself by sommeliers and, and and by consumers and people who are interested in these wines and i think that's really for us it's about people hopefully understanding you know the passion that is behind these bottles but the quality as well and i think you know we were talking earlier about about the industry and i think so rarely do we have the chance to witness a new region especially a sparkling producer from the ground up and to see the potential yeah. to see what's happening there and i think that's where we are at the moment hmm. and i'm really really excited to be a part of it so yeah
2: and laura um we have to have a little attraction to our sponsor and it will arrive now um, and when we are coming back uh, i'm gonna um, i have to ask you some royalty question about the queen who just passed away yep. and how she was attending to the in wine industry and how it is, but we will be come back shortly after this commercial.
0: Så försöker vi bara tacka TempTech uh, igen, tack för att du gör denna um, podcasten här möjlig. Vi står på jakt etter et, uh, vinskap, og det ett vinskap och det borde man nästan alltid vara. Uh, så checka ut TempTechs sin Plustil en av topseriene till uh, TempTech. Byg uh, Byggde in ladis
1: in skärknölar, ladis stå fritt för sig själv, stora, små, forskliga zoner, trägaler,
0: ledbelysning juster, temperatur, ljus uh, på egna paneler. Um, luftfuktighet, labelview, vi står slå se flaskarna före du öppnar sköltskapet. Check ut uh, precis till TempTech och tusen tack igen. Ja, hos Power, Celluskunders Power uh, och tack igen TempTech för att det gör podcasten här uh, möjlig.
2: And then we are back again, Laura. We have been discussing English sparkling for a while and under the break of commercial we have talked a bit about the about the queen but also a little surprise for the norwegian market we are earlier talking about prestige cuvée who's coming and it's coming to norway next year
1: yeah it's coming to norway so our prestige cuvée we we launched it just a couple of weeks ago in the uk and
2: what is the highest point you have reached for that
1: so uh, it's called 51 Degrees North, um, vintage 2014. Yes. Um, and it's going to be, you know, really the, the pinnacle, I think, of our, of our yeah. winemaking. And what will the
2: cost be for a bottle in England? Oh, uh,
1: in England, it's uh, £195. Pounds.
2: Only 195
1: Yeah. 195 okay, okay.
2: And how big is the production?
1: Uh, it's small, a few thousand bottles. Okay. So, so yeah,
2: it's, maybe it's coming 60 bottles to Norway.
1: Yeah, there will be some in Norway next yeah, year. Okay. Okay.
2: That's going to be good.
1: <laughs> Twist my arm, you might get yeah. more. <laughs> this is
2: uh, breaking news from England. Uh, hmm. It's a prestige career coming up. I was looking for it for many years and now it's arrived. Thank God. But back to the um, introduction to the, uh, to, to the royal family in, in England. Because m- in many t- magazines I read that the, the English, English government and especially the queen and the family was helping the industry. Because in the past, it was close relationship to the French, of course, champagne and so on. But also, please uh, tell me a little bit. gossip or not true or whatever, but what is in the in, in, in base of, of the helping of the industry? Because in, in Norway, we have king, queen and help the Norwegian um, industry for mm-hmm. akvit and so on. But yeah. how have the English uh, industry get help from the from the Queen Elizabeth when she li- was alive and, and the family?
1: Mm. Uh, So, you know, the royal family have been great supporters, I think, of of farming generally in the Mm. UK. And and I know that King Charles has always been very passionate about that with his duchy estate and that kind of thing. Um, uh, Queen Elizabeth, when she was um, uh, on the throne, of course, um, would hold very many state dinners and banquets and and, and hold official visits for for people. Um, And although often it was champagne that was being served more and more in the last 10 or 15 years they've been serving English sparkling wine at those events in Buckingham Palace. So um, I know that in 2012 at the, um, it was the pre, it was the dinner for the pre-opening party of the Olympics. It's a very long way to explain it, sorry. uh, At Buckingham Palace and they served the Blanc de Blanc 2007 from Gus Bourne. Um, And I know that they've served other producers as well. So it's great. Um, I think I think they own or have interests in, in their own vineyard areas as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of passion for, for English sparkling yeah. wine, which is great. And I know that um, King Charles and, and the Queen Consort as well uh, have always been very passionate about English sparkling wine. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future. Too.
2: Mm. Because that's one of the reasons that you have officials who respect uh, the industry. And, mm-hmm. uh, Laura, we have to end this podcast. I think we're going to drink up the wine when this is over and have a little talk. But yep. um, we will invite you to the to podcast again, um, maybe in 10 years, when you're Great. a grand old lady in the wine industry <laughs> and see what happens. But we'll, we'll see you again uh, when you're going to launch the Prestige Cuvert.
1: Perfect. Uh, because Thank
2: we you. need to taste that in Norway. We need to taste first. Um, cheers, uh, Laura. And I hope you see you.
0: I will see you again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. plus free postage and a free digital scale no long term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program Ukens vindtips med Svein er en finansavisen podcast Programleder er Svein Lindin producent är er Lars Brenden Skram. och podcast och videoansvarig är er Marius Mørk Larsen ansvarig redaktör är er Trygve Hegnar